Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 2nd, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, Church 3.0, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Enjoy. that we're going to be talking about this morning is about the need to build God's church in Philippi. But if you take a little bit of a closer look at it, what you realize is the passage is really about who will build God's church. Who's going to build it? Now, most of us, if you have a working knowledge, you know, of the Bible, and a lot of people will just say, well, didn't Jesus say he would do that? And that's exactly the truth. I mean, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is the founder of the church. If you were to look at it, you know, in modern terminology, he is the 1.0. Everything started with him. And then he went to the cross and died. Put him in a grave, came out of the grave, rose out of the grave. And then something amazing happened. In Acts chapter two, on a day called Pentecost, Pentecost is the seventh Sunday after the resurrection. On Pentecost there, the Holy Spirit did something absolutely amazing. He fell and filled all the believers of Jesus for the first time. Now, in the Old Testament, you have to understand that the Holy Spirit sort of came and went. I mean, it was there at times, it would go away at times, sometimes it would do great things, sometimes it left people sort of on their own, but in the New Testament, every New Testament believer, if you've made a decision to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. But what happened there is the Holy Spirit, you know, hit so hard on them that it literally caused them to take up the mantle of building God's church. building his kingdom. And so the idea of building the church went literally from Jesus, the 1.0, to his disciples, who we call the apostles, the 2.0. But now, when you get to the book of Philippians, 30 plus years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the apostles are getting older. Some of them have died. You're starting to see this transition take place from Jesus then to Jesus' disciples and now the apostles' disciples from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0. And the reason why this is happening is Paul here has, has come to the conclusion that personally he's not gonna be there to do the things in the church in Philippi, at least not right now, that they really need. They need someone that's gonna come in and serve them, help them build the church, teach the church, disciple, teach others what it means to do all of that. He hopes to come, but he doesn't know if he's gonna be getting out of jail, and so the inevitable thing will happen here. He will send two of his disciples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to go there and to serve them. Sooner or later, this would be absolutely inevitable, and it works that way in every single thing that there is, including here at Highlands. 
You know, it doesn't take long, if, you know, you, you sort of live in the area, it doesn't take long to sort of look around the Northeast Valley and realize, wow, we are loaded with a lot of great churches, and they really are. There are a lot of churches in this area that preach the gospel, and I'm thankful for all of them, and I do pray, uh, you know, on a consistent basis that God would fill those people up with people that are seeking Jesus Christ. That's our goal, to fill up God's churches. None of those churches, though, were built by the apostles. None of those churches were built by the disciples of the apostles. Yeah, we're built on the teachings of the apostles. I mean, that's what we're told in scripture. But we're so far off from 2.0 and 3.0, we're probably 300.0 that right now. Specifically here in chapter two, Timothy and Epaphroditus are disciples of Jesus' disciples. They're Paul's disciples. And the church there in Philippi needs them to sort of step up and to build God's kingdoms. They were examples in every way of the model of sacrifice. In fact, if you remember back a few weeks back, Thomas was teaching in chapter two, verses five through 11, and he talked about the fact that Jesus was the door, sort of the divine example of sacrifice, that he came to the earth, he took on flesh, and then he went and ultimately died on a cross for you and I. He was a servant. He was the model for us. But the model is now on the throne in heaven. Now, according to the plan of God, it will be his followers who will build the kingdom. And what that means is the church for all time needs to be constantly equipping people in the body to step forward and to begin to serve. The church is not built by attendees. The church is built by servants which every believer is called to be. We're not called to be focused on, well, I just, I just want to get into heaven. Mm -mm. No, we're called to be a part of the solution, to, to present the story, to build the kingdom, to be a part of what God is doing. You're birthed into a new family to be a part of the family business. Now, in many ways what you get here, by the way, that's called the discipleship process. In many ways what you get here in the passage we're looking at in verses 19 through 30 is the beginning of a brand new moment in history. The apostolic age here is coming to an end. The apostles are all dying off. This will be the first group, you know, and Timothy and Epaphroditus will be the first group of church builders that did not see Jesus prior to his crucifixion and resurrection. Acts chapter one tells us that the criteria for being an apostle was that this had to be men who had seen Jesus, but the apostles now are all dying off and they need to be replaced, but they're not gonna be replaced with new apostles because Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now the replacements will be the disciples of the apostles and the disciples of the disciples and the disciples of the disciples and further on. 1.0 will go to 2.0, et cetera, and et cetera. That's the way it works. That's God's plan. Let me show you something. Keep your finger here in Philippians and go over to the right to 2 Timothy chapter two. 
2 Timothy chapter two. Paul writes here to Timothy to remind him of how this process really works. And he says in verse two, and he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, the plan is, is that one believer would build into another to the point that they can build into others as well, all with the idea that every believer steps forward and takes on the call of building the kingdom of God. That's our role. That is our job. If you do, have never heard that before, you've been in a church that, especially if you've been here, then I would tell you that I'm sorry that that's not been told to you. Our role is to be kingdom builders in cooperation with the Holy Spirit working inside of us to be the, become the men and women that God has called us to be. So here in Philippians chapter two, Paul will write and he will tell the Philippians that two of his disciples are coming in his place. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now who are these guys? Well first of all, Timothy, his name means actually honoring God. And by the way, that would not have been his name at birth because he wasn't raised in a believing household. He is from Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey. He had a Jewish mother, and history tells us that he had a, a father who was an unbelieving Greek. They, likely he came to faith during Jesus, or excuse me, Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. And, and, and Paul actually, in verse 19 here, actually considers Timothy his spiritual son. 2 Timothy chapter one tells us that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were both Christ followers and they had instructed him well in the, in the Jewish traditions and the stories from the Old Testament. Um, but the fact that he wasn't circumcised tells you that his, probably, his father probably did not approve of it and it wasn't going to happen. Nevertheless, he was pretty well versed in the Old Testament stories and then in Greek mythology and you, you put the two together and he's really kind of perfect in some ways for that role of coming alongside Paul and ministering with him and he does that a lot. Timothy goes and he serves alongside of Paul in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, in Ephesus and he's just doing, he's doing lots and lots of ministries but here's the key, he's not perfect. He is a, He's got a long way to go before he becomes this, 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 this finished product. He's just not there yet. Paul, even when he writes him, and he, when he writes to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter four, he reminds him, he says, Timothy, let me, let me remind you, don't keep doing sort of these young you know, stuff and, and that, that makes you look kind of young and foolish. Don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. Then later on, in chapter two, in verse two, he writes him and he says, Timothy, avoid youthful lusts and, and forget about all these foolish controversies. Timothy wasn't there yet. You know, sometimes within the church, we think as individuals, we think, well, you know, I just don't know if I'm ready or know enough or prepared enough to be able to serve God. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so far from perfect. Well, here's the truth. We all are. If for a second you think, well, I'm probably better than everybody else, you know, I don't think I've done, you have a serious problem spiritually. The Bible tells us that we're all spiritually dead when, before we come to Christ. 
all of us have areas in our life that we wish we could have done differently, we'd have done you know, better, all of those things. I mean, the truth is we're messy. That's who we are as people. The good news is that by God's grace, though, we can be reborn and have a brand new opportunity to step forward and serve the Lord, which is exactly what we're intended to do. Timothy is just a model to us of how God uses broken things. Now, besides Timothy, he's also going to send a guy named Epaphroditus. Now, his name means belonging to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was a Greek goddess of love. Now, that's a pretty good sign that he was not raised in a believing family. Okay? You didn't have families that trusted in Jesus naming their kids after the Greek goddess of love. This would be a convert. This is someone that heard the gospel message and responded to it and begins to serve. And he's a guy that literally the church in Philippi began to love. He, he served them. He traveled with Paul, served alongside of them. In fact, he almost dies for the sake of the gospel. We'll actually see a little bit more of that in just a moment. So let's stop once we've got this sort of picture here. <laughs> and let's read <clears throat> the passage together, starting in verse 19. Paul writes here in chapter two, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may also be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, Paul here is going to tell us why these disciples of his are worthy to come along and to serve and to lead within the church. And so what you get here is you're gonna get five qualities here of sort of that next generation servant or next generation leader, and they really do go together. These qualities are really a sign of what it's necessary to build a church. They're also qualities that we need. Now the first thing he's gonna tell us here, first quality here is in verse 20 and that is concern for others. Concern for others, he's, verse 20 says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul describes Timothy as genuinely concerned. I love the fact that this adverb here is so descriptive here. He says genuinely, in other words, it's obvious. It's clear, you can see it. He's not, he doesn't have a bad motive, he doesn't have a fault. He's not trying to get everybody to look at him and go, oh great. I mean, he just goes and he serves and everybody can see it. It's genuine. 
You see, a servant isn't someone who simply puts in the effort or even just puts in the hours. Someone is a servant because they have a heart to help. Because somehow Christ has so you know, changed them and transformed their lives that they see a need and they want to be a part of it because they feel moved by God to do that. There's no ego involved. Paul tells us here that Timothy is one of those people. He's different than those who seek their own interests. Verse 20, Paul says, I have no one like him. I'm not really sure it gets any better than that. Paul uses the term here, concern. The Greek word here actually means anxious. Now, let me be clear here. One of the things the Bible actually tells us in chapter four, when we get to Philippians here, that we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, and that pertaining to our own lives. So you shouldn't be anxious about what you're doing. But he here makes this clear that the anxiety here is, has to do with the body. What other people are going through. Many of you understand exactly what that means. You've been driving along someplace and you see somebody that you know, looks kind of disheveled and everything and has a sign saying that they need help and you just sense inside of you God is telling you you need to help them. I can guarantee you that's not Satan telling you that. That's the Lord leading you to do something with your life. Or you see somebody that's broken down beside the road. Do I need to stop and help at this point? You know, when we talk about servants and leaders here at the church, you know, we always want our servants to be, you know, well thought of and, 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 and we want them to be thought out really well and to try to do things in a good, strong, biblical way and all, you know, all of that's important. So we consider the education of what somebody's doing is, is really incredibly high, but none of it takes priority over the fact that we want them to be obedient to the Lord and just hear what God has to say and do it. It's like Scott mentioned earlier when he was talking. At some point, you simply say, yes. We need people who, servants who will pray and who will listen. Not perfect people, but people like Timothy who are willing. Now the second thing you see here about these servants is in verse 21 is they have kingdom priorities. Paul writes and he says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. You know, our priorities usually reveal our hearts or what we value. I will tell you that the easiest thing in the world is simply to focus in on you and just go, you know what, that's a little bit much for me right now. All I need to do is I just need to focus on me and make sure that I'm the best me that I can be and, and just make sure that I get into heaven and, and all of that and that's enough. No, it's not. The best you that you can be is to become who God wants you to be. And I guarantee you that's a servant. It's so interesting here because, you know, Paul knows this is an issue. I mean, take your Bible and go back into chapter two and go back to verses three and four in chapter two because he hits on this already. In verse three, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each, each of you look not only at your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is always an issue. This is the primary issue within the church. Is that you have people that, and it sounds wonderful, but their primary goal is to just get into heaven when their primary goal ought to be entering the family business. And that is the fact that when Jesus saved you and transformed you, he called you to serve him. That's why Jesus would stop in the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33, and he says, seek first the kingdom. Not seek first your own good. Seek first the kingdom. And then all these things, I'll take care of the rest. It'll all make sense to you. In fact, you know, in, in my counseling, one of the things that always surprises me is that people will come in and they'll say, well, I don't feel like, I don't know where I'm going on this and I feel unhappy about this and I've got this anxiety here and this is happening here and it always comes back that the primary motive in their life is always their own life first. And I mean, it sounds cheesy to say this, but the call is always, hey, if you would put Christ first and then his kingdom, the promise is by him is that all these things will be added to you. It'll all make sense. It'll all start working out how it should fit. It starts by saying yes. If we're gonna serve God and honor him, he has to become the priority. His kingdom has to become the priority. And so what you get in verse 21 is, why is he sending Timothy and Epaphroditus? Because in their lives, it was the priority. That's what we need as servants. Not people that would you know, say, well, you know what, I can give you once a month and that's just about it. Having... God is our priority means the agenda of my life, my time, my talents, my treasures comes under his authority first. Now, there's a, th- a third thing here that you see in verse 22 about these servants here, and that is a humble attitude. Verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul describes Timothy's attitude with the highest praise. He says he's like a son to me. I mean, in a very humble and respectful and his servant's ways, he basically says he's willing to serve in any capacity needed. And so Timothy had really endeared himself to Paul. Paul, here's what's really interesting. Paul traveled with lots and lots of people. I mean, if you think back on Silas and Barnabas and all these other you know, people that he traveled with, he says that about no one else, though. Paul uses the term here about Timothy that a proven worth, the Greek word means tried and approved. In other words, I've seen this guy serve. The fourth thing he says here in verse 23 is that they have an available schedule. 
Verse 23 says, and I hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul makes it very clear that both Timothy and Epaphroditus are ready and willing as soon as Paul can do without them. Paul, because he's in jail, would have no way to take care of himself. They didn't feed you in the Roman jails. Something had to be brought in from the outside. So somebody had to be there to take care of him. Plus he had all the different you know, ministry, the letters he was writing out to other people. They would be there to either copy them or take them away. But he says he will be sending them soon. That's, that's what sets the average Christian and a servant apart. There are so many people today within Christianity worldwide that would say, you know, I would, but I'm just too busy. And then there's a whole other group of people that will say this. Okay, I need to sculpt my life a little bit. Just like Scott was talking about, I've got to have to work with my schedule a little bit, but okay, God, I'll figure it out. I'll do it. Years ago when uh, we, we were doing a marriage ministry here that I was running and there was uh, one couple that I felt really strongly about that could be involved in, the, in that marriage ministry, Ron and Stephanie Wolfley, and I, so I went to Ron and I said, Ron, I'm gonna ask you to consider being a, a small group leader. And Ron is a radio personality and, and all that stuff and he talks all the time and, and I thought this is not gonna be a problem and his voice started cracking and shaking. Well, what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to just be a facilitator and, and I don't want you to do all the talking, I just want you to open it up and get it going and so people can come to the conclusion and you can bring it back to the scriptures that, you know, that we wanna talk about. And he said, you do understand that I get paid to share my opinion and now you're asking me, don't use my opinion uh, you're right, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. He also said, you know, I, wow, I'm, I'm up late watching all these games and uh, you know, I, all that kind of stuff and do a lot of reading and then I'm up very early, my show's on very early in the morning and I'm really, really busy and then he stopped and he looked at me and he said, yes. He and Stephanie became some of the best leaders we, we've ever had. Not because he was good at it, but because he said yes. See, the heart of a servant hears the call of God and says yes. Not every believer will say that. So many believers, like he writes here and says, I have no one who is genuinely concerned. They're all interested in themselves. You know, someone might come say, well, gosh, Bob, that feels a little bit like a, a guilt trip. If it feels like a guilt trip, why? The call for every one of us, my life included, is to be a part of kingdom work. The church is not built on attendees, it's built on service. It's built on servants. It's who God births us into the family to be. Now there's a fifth quality here in verse 25 and that is gospel partnership. 
Paul writes and he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul gives three descriptions of Epaphroditus here of serving. First, he calls him a brother, which really speaks about you know, their closeness. And you know, he isn't calling him a good teammate or a hard worker. This is a much deeper sort of level of, of, of commitment. It's the kind of thing that we feel like when we've been through something difficult together, that's how we, we think about others. It's a picture of true commitment. Then he calls him my fellow worker. They're committed literally to the same cause. They have the, the same focus. Paul here was a guy who was completely sold out to ministry. He gave everything for the gospel and for building God's kingdom. And for much of it, Epaphrodites had been with him, serving, sacrificing, strategizing, alongside of him the whole time. He is a partner in ministry. And then he calls him my fellow soldier. That's a really interesting term. Because well, what kind of battle were they in? Well, the answer is spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. The battle in ministry is always the same. The battle in ministry is not with the city of Scottsdale. It's not with the state government. It's not with the federal government. You know what the battle is? It's with Satan. It's a spiritual battle. It takes place in every single one of us saying, well, let somebody else do it. Because that's kind of sacrificial, I don't know. That's spiritual battle. The call for servants is, will you? And the answer needs to be yes. Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier with him. What that means is, is that when the spiritual battles were going on that almost ended Paul's life, that got him thrown in prison, Aphrodites was there with him. Courageously, he didn't run. He stayed. And you get to verse 25, at the end of it there, you begin to see the, the highlights of his own humanity that, that Epaphroditus served the, the, the Philippians by ministering to Paul's needs. He represented them. You see in verses 26 through 30, sort of this human side here of servants. And in verse 26, you'll see that he cares for them right in their needs. I love the fact that, you know, servants are, are human. Verse 27, he sort of gives an update on Epaphroditus' health here. He says that he became ill, Ill to the point of death. And I think that's a really important you know, thing that happens here, that, that you get that truth here. Because very often we think that when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, everything is going to be perfect. There's going to be a bed of roses forever and ever. And the truth is, that's not the case at all. You have no spiritual warfare until the day that you come to Christ. Then it starts. But physical things that happen in our lives, they're not controlled by whether you're a believer or not. I mean, sometimes we think that, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm never gonna get sick, right? That's not the case. It's not like the, you know, the, the flu bug floats through and then sees you and goes, oh, I didn't know, Holy Spirit, I'll go around you. No, we get it too like everybody else. You wanna know why? Because so many people struggle with this. Well, why doesn't God protect me? Because his greater good is to use you. 
You see, when I get sick or I go through a difficult moment like that, you know what ends up happening? Is the world looks at me and says, are you gonna curse God now? And the answer is no, I love him and trust him even when the moment is tough. He's using me in this moment to honor him. Epaphroditus had been there. Verses 29 and 30, Paul says to honor him because he's nearly died for the work of the gospel. See, what you get here in Timothy and Epaphroditus are two servants who made themselves available. They have a track record of service. They are humble. They do any task that they need to do for the building of the kingdom. I would bet... I bet anything that they were so incredibly nervous that when Paul first called and asked them, would you come with me, they're probably thinking, ah, and thought of 20 different reasons why they wouldn't come or they shouldn't come, but they said yes. And it made all the difference in the world. This is how God's kingdom works. Believers beginning to serve. Believers coming to the point that they realize the goal is not to just get into the kingdom, but the goal is to build the kingdom. And that's what we're here to do. We are calling you to be a part of kingdom building. I wanna be clear here. I'm not saying we're trying to build highlands into a church of 10,000. Our goal is to build and fill up God's churches that preach the gospel all around the valley. There's a higher goal here. But it starts off in simple ways. Maybe it's realizing that they need help in the children's ministry, and you know what, I can help with that. They need help with, you know, with greeting at the door. I can do that. They need help with leading a small group. Sounds scary, but I could do it. The question is, are we ready, willing, and able to do that? The truth is, the next generation of church-building servants are sitting in the pews out here right now. Timothy and and Epaphroditus were not handed leadership without anything. It's very clear here that if you look at their life, they have a concern for others, they have their priorities right, kingdom first, they had a humble attitude, they were available schedule-wise, they entered into gospel partnerships, they were servants. And that's how it begins with you and I. We serve. We figure out a way to serve. And so my prayer is, is that God would move on you to do that very thing. How? Well, I'll give you the easiest way that you can sort of figure it out. Early on, you know, we, we, we tell you, hey, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you. We put up, you know, just text in Highlands Church to 94,000. Here's what I would say. If you just text HC for Highlands Church, next step, to 94,000, someone will get a hold of you and they will give you the options that are out there. They're not gonna sign you up for anything, but they will give you the options that are available. 
then you can pray about what you want to say yes to. You can think about it. Gives you time to begin to sculpt that, that schedule of yours into a way that honors God. But all of us, we need to be thinking about building the kingdom. This morning, we're gonna be taking communion. And I'm gonna have the band come back out and join me. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28 tells us that we are to examine ourselves before we take communion. We're to examine our lives. When he says that, I believe what he's saying is, what in my life needs to change, God? Is there anything that needs to change? If it does, I'm gonna ask you to take a moment and do some business with God. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you. Maybe you just need to tell God, yes, I will. When the opportunity arrives, I'll do what you said. But would you take a moment right where you're at? Father, I pray that our hearts would be so open to you, Lord, that when you whisper, we hear it like a shout. That when you call, we come. That we say yes to you. Lord, I thank you that Timothy and Epaphroditus were willing and available because they provided a model for the rest of us that the days of the apostles would end and now it would be those that never saw you but who trust in you that the task of building your church is in our hands filled with your power your spirit we want to be faithful Lord Move in our hearts to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 some important words. And by the way, this cup is very unique because it has the wafer on one side and the juice on the other. You need to make sure that you pull the wafer side off first. Paul writes and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
verse 25 says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, help us to remember your great love and service for us by sending your son to be the model, the model of sacrifice that calls us to live accordingly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Jesus left us here to honor him, to be his hands and feet, to seek his kingdom, to build his kingdom. And so a simple question this week, would you simply pray and ask God, God, how do I sculpt my schedule around to say yes to what you want? If you do that, you're gonna find great blessing. God bless you, love you all.